Psalm 123, a song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning. Peace be with you. Thanks for coming out on Memorial Day weekend. Um, Move here a little bit. So freedom. Freedom is the, perhaps the most idealized principle that we have in our world today. You know, we long to be free from any master or we long to be um, free from being enslaved from social institutions or oppressive, oppressive leaders. Um, and we chase after that feeling, uh, like a, similar to a long vacation where you have no boss breathing down your neck and, and really no responsibilities to speak of. But I would argue that if that dog ever catches the car and you get that kind of freedom that you desire, um, maybe that form of idealized freedom uh, that we hold so dear might not satisfy us at all. In fact, I would argue that perhaps perhaps that servanthood to the right master for the right purposes and in the right situation is actually more in line of what we were made for. So... This week, we're going to continue our study in the Psalms of Ascents. Um, these, these Psalms are uh, just a little few chapters tucked away in the middle of your Bible, and they're a book of songs that the people of Israel used to sing on their way to Jerusalem. Um, pilgrimage was a key aspect of Judaism in ancient Israel, and um, what that, would, that would take the form of taking trips to Jerusalem on um, religious holidays or, or during festivals. And since the city of Jerusalem sits on top of a hill, um, necessarily the journey for everyone, everyone would be upward. It would be an ascent. And hence, the songs they would sing on their way to Jerusalem were known as the Psalms of Ascents. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at these psalms um, through the, the matrix of the five identities that we have in Christ. And I've been thinking about the actual act of ascending to Jerusalem and, and how that maps to uh, the five identities we've been discussing. Um, pilgrim, family, worshiper, missionary, and servant are the five identities. Um, and thinking about that act of ascent, it's like um, as pilgrims, you know, we're on a spiritual journey to the city. And then as, as Israel Israelites did, we travel together, and so we're, we travel together as a family, so we have family there. We worship as we sing songs on our ascent to Jerusalem. Um, our mission is to reach the city of God and to bring others along the way, and so those are the four identities. And the fifth one we'll talk about today um, is service, and, and service is that aspect of the journey where you give of your very self. It's the actual going of the journey. It's that giving of your time, your energy, and your body um, in service to the Lord. So here's the encouragement that I want us to have today together. Servants of God, look with renewed eyes to your merciful master who gives you Jesus as both gift and guide. I'll say that again. 
Servants of God, look with renewed eyes to your merciful master who gives you Jesus as both gift and guide. And so we'll look at this in three areas. Renewed eyes, our merciful master, and then Jesus as our gift and guide. So first, renewed eyes. First thing the psalmist says in our passage, I lift up my eyes to you, Lord. And living as servants then begins seeing the world with new eyes. It's interesting to think about how significant events in your life change the, wor- the way that you see the world. So when we bought a house, I went from viewing houses as just like something you drive by to having a critical eye to where I try to guess the age and price of every house that I, that I see. Um, it also makes for fun dinner parties because I'm walking around in the basement a lot more than I used to at people's houses. But now I go to the house that I grew up in and I, and I look around and I talk to my dad and I say, you know, there's a pretty big crack in that foundation. You should probably get that checked out. And so I'm, I'm seeing his home with new eyes. Or another example, I recently started working for an equipment rental company. And so now whenever I drive by a construction site, I'm craning to look and almost drive off the road as I try to figure out who made that excavator and more importantly, if one of our competitors owns it. So you see the world with new eyes and the psalm invites us to view the world with new eyes as well. We see this picture of a servant that looks to their master intently, waiting for their next command and seeking to know what their master will soon call them to do as their servant. And this morning, my hope is that we will see what it looks like to look to our merciful master, our good and merciful master and Lord with new eyes. And then that we would seek opportunities to live in our identity as servants of God, the true biblical type of servanthood that is giving of yourself for the good of another and for the glory of God. And so to do this, I think that means that we must examine ourselves and ask if what we perceive of acts of service are truly founded in the biblical self-giving servanthood that we're talking about. So consider the lies that you can believe about serving others. So in the workplace, do something kind for a coworker or do a favor for a coworker because one day you may need them to do something for you in return. Or a lie in parenting. Give your children your very best because anything else will set them up, anything less will set them up for failure. In friendship, be kind to your friends because if they abandon you, you'll have no one. Or a more general lie that you tell yourself about servanthood, if not me, then no one else will serve. Only my service can bring about the change in the world that I desire. And so these lies about servanthood put the emphasis on your own efforts and they place the motivation towards results that we hope will satisfy us. But we know that they ultimately disappoint because they rob us of our intended role as servants of God. They point us to things that won't satisfy. Biblical servanthood is this, giving fully of yourself to your merciful master, the Lord, and it's where you trade your slavery to, the, to approval, results, and recognition for a reward that is eternally life-giving. And so to step into that, that means that we must intentionally choose our master. Scripture talks about this sort of exchange, that the trading service to the temporary versus things, service to things of the eternal. Um, in Romans 6, Paul shows us 
that we're always slaves to something, no matter what. It's, real, it's simply a matter of whether or not you choose to be a servant of sin or a servant of righteousness. And then Eugene Peterson, in the, in the message, translate the, translates the ends of Paul's argument like this. He says, But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin to tell you what to do, and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise, a whole, healed, put-together life right now, with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. In a sense, our only real choice in life consists of choosing which master we will serve, whether it's the one that leads to death or the one that leads to life. And the message of Christianity is one that offers you a chance to exchange your identity as a servant of sin and death and become a servant of a merciful master who invites you into his eternal family. And so some ways that we live out this exchange with our new eyes as identity, uh, our new eyes of our identity as servants. We daily seek to embrace that exchange of serving others versus our selfish desire of serving ourselves. We pray for a heart that willingly gives of ourselves in service to the Lord. And we watch, we watch with renewed eyes for the needs that the Spirit will show you. As a servant looks to the hand of his master, look for the Lord showing you his command to serve as revealed through the needs of other people. Because to live in your identity as a servant of the Lord is to look with deference and trust to your merciful master. So that's our renewed eyes. We look to our master with renewed eyes. And the next is our merciful master or Mercy for the journey. Listen again to the psalm. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We cry out mercy to the Lord, not to demand that he do something that he otherwise wouldn't, but to claim a truth that is already for us in him. Because mercy is, is when someone in power and authority over another doesn't domineer or deal harshly with them, but they treat them kindly and gently and with love. And so as servants, we cry mercy to, hold gra- to grasp hold of what is already true of God our Master. And it might seem strange um, to talk about mercy and servanthood um, together, but I, I, I would contend that they are deeply, deeply related because we cry mercy to God since we need help and grace along a difficult journey. Giving of yourself is difficult work. Uh, Most meaningful things in life are, and it's impossible to do without God's help. And furthermore, when you are tired from the journey, it can be tempting to fall back into the hands of your old master. And so we need mercy, and we cry mercy. This song shows us um, that all servants of God have always felt tired and in need of help throughout all times. This psalm's hundreds of years old, and it could, be a, it could have been written today. And when things are hard, as the psalmist does, we need to cry out to the Lord 
and lay claim of his promises of mercy and grace towards us. As part of the liturgy today and our assurance of pardon, um, we read Isaiah 30. I'll read another portion again. It says this, The Lord waits to be gracious to you, and he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. I think it's a highly, highly encouraging truth that the picture of the servant looking to his master, waiting to see the commands of his master, is almost perfectly mirrored by the position of the father in Isaiah 30, where he waits for us to receive his mercy and anticipating, anticipatory waiting for the father to show us mercy. Most of you here, you are tired in one way or another. You do the hard work of service every single day. You give of yourselves in obedience to the Lord, and you're tired in your body and in your soul. And furthermore, you are tired of seeing those who are supposedly slaves to sin live lives that seem better than your own, as the psalmist is as well. Maybe you're a mom that hasn't had a break for years. You do the thankless work of being a mom. Or more broadly, you work a thankless job in a difficult workplace. Maybe you serve a group of people that will never be able to pay you back. Or you're in a relationship where you give and you give and you give and you get almost nothing in return. Or you might be tired because you are serving another kind of master, uh, the secret kind of sin that quietly and consistently holds you down and crushes you. Maybe you're enslaved to the opinion of others. You're addicted to work that pulls you away from your family and your faith community. Or perhaps worry consumes you and enslaves you. And the obsession with the worst possible outcomes in life rob you of the hope and joy that's available to you. And there's a million other things, right? But no matter what you are serving, hear this. The Lord eagerly waits to show mercy to you and invites you to respond to the pains of servanthood, whether good or bad, by crying out to the Lord. He longs to show you mercy and forgiveness. He is your help in times of trouble. He will renew your hope and your peace and your strength and your joy. And also as an encouragement, serving God takes the form of serving people. Your service is significant when you give of yourselves for others, no matter what the response is. And therefore, the service that you are doing for others, it's not in vain. It's exactly what it means to live in your identity as a servant. And in that, the Lord longs for you to experience his mercy as you would a cool drink of water after a long day of work in the sun. So we have a merciful master. We see with renewed eyes. And then we have Jesus, who is our gift and our guide. We, see, we talked about that disposition in Isaiah for the Lord to show mercy and grace towards his people. And the ultimate form of that is found in Jesus, who is both the perfect gift from our Lord and also our guide in the path of servanthood. 
Hear this, Paul's description of Jesus as our gift and guide in Philippians 2, which if you hear nothing else from me, which is fine, hear this, most, the most important passage about servanthood in all of Scripture. Paul says this about Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and then being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. While we were rebellious slaves to sin, this passage tells us, Jesus came to offer us a new way as servants of God and as slaves to righteousness. Christ gave of himself for the good of others and for the glory of the Father. And he shows us that in the life of the Trinity, service and selflessness are actually integral parts to the characteristics of God and that they can be lived out free of oppression and of domineering. And then God invites us to live that life that was already embodied in Christ. The message of Christianity is one that acknowledges that, you're, that life is hard and it's burdensome. And then it invites you to exchange a hard and merciful master for a kind and merciful one. Jesus says, come to me, everyone who carries a heavy load. I'll exchange it for a lighter one. Christ gave of himself on the cross so that he could bring us to the Lord as our merciful and gracious Father and Master. So he's a gift. Jesus is a gift. And he is also our guide in this path of servanthood. He offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. And the scripture says that we respond by offering ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Have you ever wondered um, why we call what we do here Sunday services? You can go your whole life and just like hear a term and never think about what it means. The word that we use for service actually comes from an older word, Uh, which is liturgy, which we also use. And this means, uh, liturgy means a service or a sacrifice to God. And so when we participate in the liturgy together, it actually isn't a service towards you from the church or even a service from from the church towards those outside of the faith. Actually, we are coming together to give of ourselves in service to God which is a pretty significant shift from the, mind, the way that my mind usually interprets Sunday services. Come and serve me, but the Lord is actually saying, you know, lay yourself down in service to me. Um, in the tradition where I spent a large chunk of my faith as a child, there was this practice of having altar calls. Does anybody, maybe, maybe some people can identify with that. And some of you, that term means absolutely nothing, and that's probably for the best. But for others, it brings back memories of our preacher coaxing coaxing everyone that they can to come to the front of the auditorium and prayer or maybe to make a major life decision. You know, and perhaps 
I don't want to dismiss that perhaps there were some major life decisions that you made during an altar call. But I do want to, I do want to pull this nugget from that, which is this, that either way, the, the language of altar is really significant, and I can appreciate what they were trying to get at. Um, when we gather together in a ch- as a church and engage uh, in worship, we seek to embody in the most explicit and declarative way that we know how our praise and devotion to God and his leading. Um, and it would be impossible to actually do that without following the example of Christ who gave himself as a sacrifice for us to the Lord and calls us to do the same. And so in an altar call, if you will, that is, you come to the altar in response to the conviction of the Spirit, and you give of your whole self to the Lord. Now, I, I'll tell you, we're never going to do an altar call here, but um, the psalm is inviting us to, to embody that principle, which is to see with new eyes and give of yourselves in a life, in a life full life and self-giving sacrifice to the Lord. You give all that you have um, to the Lord as Jesus did. And I'll stop here again and ask, um, ask you to, to think if and why this kind of language of self-sacrifice sits uncomfortable with you. If you exist in any way within our culture today, um, it should sit uncomfortably with you. Because we eat and we breathe and we sleep in a world that is devoted to radical individualism and self-determination. Um, and this, I will say, this perspective on personhood has given us a lot of really great things in our society, but it also makes thinking of a self-sacrificing view of life a very difficult thing to see as anything but domineering and oppressive. But then I think that we would say we see in Scripture and we experience in our own lives that Joyfully giving of yourself to God is both extremely difficult, um, but also rewarding and very, very much worth it, right? Rewarding in the sense that, you can, that what you gain can never be taken from you. And then the purpose that you find is something far greater than the limited and selfish and ever-changing personal agenda that you happen to set for yourself that week. And so we are invited to follow in the path of joy-filled servanthood that Christ plays for us. I mean, we read in Philippians 2, he says, have, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Follow the self-giving servanthood path that Jesus plays for you. Um, when I go to museums, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just a cheap guy in general, uh, but then I'm, this is just, just one manifestation of that curse. So, but I am way too cheap to pay for a tour. I'll pay for the museum, but it's like I'll give myself the tour. But then what inevitably happens is I see a tour group and they're at an exhibit and I inconspicuously go over to the exhibit next to them to listen to what the tour guide is saying. So I should just pay for the tours, but whatever, that, that's a different issue. The, a tour guide, though, significantly adds um, meaning and enjoyment to the experience mostly because she's been there before and she knows how to unlock the joy and meaning found in the exhibit that to somebody like me who's their first time it's just totally inaccessible to me and i think christ too has meaningfully walked the path before us as our guide he leads the way in a life that is truth that is joyfully that joyfully leads us up the mountain to god's city he leads the way to god's city for us in joy and so as we, as we conclude, um, I'll remind us that our encouragement again. 
servants of God, look with renewed eyes to your merciful master who gives you Jesus as both gift and guide. Um, I acknowledge that for most of you today, you have been serving your church and your community and your families well. And so for that, I thank you for your faithfulness um, to both this church body and to our community at large. Um, I wouldn't stand up here and say that I don't see that because you all are serving well. Um, So let this passage be an encouragement to you to continue in your long obedience in the same direction. And I pray that maybe this message shows you in a small way to see your service with renewed eyes and with the refreshed heart. Um, if the, in that vein, if the Christian life is like a house, uh, Jeremy used the worship, uh, worship as like the structure of the house in this analogy, I would say that maybe service is the plumbing and the electrical work. Um, so like when you give up your preferences and desires for the sake of another, you can sometimes, I just mean sometimes, even forget that you were sacrificing at all because things can go pretty well. But um, when you live to serve only yourself, that's when the lights go out and the crap starts to pile up. And so I want to say thank you to everyone here for keeping the lights on and etc. So as we, as we close, the Lord invites us to look up to him with new eyes in our posture as a servant. When we see our master with new eyes, it puts us in the posture of a servant that looks upward instead of over at God as our equal, maybe down at God in superiority, or even away from God in defiance of his lordship. And so this was the posture of Christ when he came to live among us. He fully submitted to the Father, and set the ultimate example of servanthood for us as he gave of himself so that we could have new life. Let's pray together.